is the Lord of all. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are Lord of all. Thank you that as God, you did not consider equality with God something to be held on to for your own advantage, but you became a man. You emptied yourself. You took upon yourself humanity and you took upon yourself our sin to the cross, showing us your great love so that we could know and receive your righteousness. And you died in our place, but you are Lord of all. The grave couldn't hold you. The veil was torn. You conquered the grave. You redeemed us from sin and death. And right now you rule and reign on high. And that brings us hope right now. All our hope is in you, Lord. To you be all glory and praise and honor. We gladly submit to you as our Lord. You as our our humble Lord, our lowly, meek, and gentle Lord, a gracious and merciful, loving Lord. Thank you for your love, Lord, for your holding of us this week, for your keeping us from sin, for drawing us near to you that we might know your tender care and enjoy the peace that comes from you. Thank you for guiding us this week as we have acted and spoken Thank you for loving us and holding us fast. Lord, you, you are our salvation. All our hope, all our joy, all our peace, all our love is in you. The deliverance we need is in you. You're the light in our darkness that exposed our sin and yet showed us your glorious salvation. And we thank you for coming once and we long for you and we look to you, your second coming. We wait for you and we pray you would come quickly, Lord. We pray that you would extend your glory out through the gospel to the ends of the earth. We lift up our missionaries to you. Danielle, especially this morning, we pray for her labors and her work in India and Pakistan that they would increase and abound in glory and fruit for your namesake across the world, Lord. All is not right in this world, oh God. We look to you. The wars around this world rage on in Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Hamas. Lord, extend your peaceful reign. Overthrow wickedness and evil wherever it dwells and bring about your peace. Lord, the sins in our hearts rage on. Lord, forgive us of our sin and renew us with the joy of your salvation. Lord, sorrow and death abounds. The last enemy you'll destroy someday, Lord, is death, and we long for that day. There's many in here today that are grieving the loss of a loved one. We pray for the German and Dalsolio family, the Hendersons, as well as they've lost parents. We lift up Esther and Barb as they have both lost a child this year and so many others who will celebrate Christmas with sadness because someone they love won't be there. But Lord, as we see in your word this morning, you are the consolation of your people. You bring comfort and encouragement among grief. So may those mourning and grieving this morning know your consolation in your care, may they each find comfort in you. And now, Lord, we do look to your word. 
We pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would open our eyes to see truth, that you would fill our hearts with love for you, fill our wills with strength to do your will. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is Advent season, and again, we focus in on love this morning. We have talked about hope and peace and joy, and this morning we get to discuss the love of Christ. And then tonight we'll come back and look to Jesus, the long-awaited Savior. So please come back tonight at four as we look to Jesus himself, in whom is hope and peace and joy and love. But Christmas, it strikes me as often a time of extravagance, of significance, of abnormal commitment to things. Clark Griswold lights aren't all that abnormal anymore. Have you noticed this? I downloaded or opened up on Google Maps yesterday uh, this access to all of the lights in Colorado Springs that people think are worth seeing. And we only saw a fraction of them. This is a Christmas tradition for us. We make hot chocolate and we get in the van and we drive around and we look at Christmas lights and we judge lesser lights and we rejoice in gray lights and our house, our house is to be judged, I must say. I mean, some of the houses in this city and in other cities are incredible, right? They sync up with your radio, the lights are dancing to the music. Some look like they have this Christmas army where figures all over the yard, they're just everywhere. The Grinch was busy stealing Christmas from many houses and we like to yell, don't steal Christmas Grinch as we drive by. It's, it's kind of a fun, fun gig we do. I'll happily enjoy everyone else's extravagance while they pay their electric bill. But extravagant, abnormal amounts of money are spent on gifts. Parents feel this burden to create an over-the-top experience for children. I've counseled families who have had major marital strife because of how much is spent on Christmas alone. Extravagance. We were at Costco earlier this week, I don't know why, glutton for punishment. Go to Trader Joe's, anywhere really, the crowds are insane. People are committed to an extravagant Christmas and many of those people with very good intentions. They're, they're doing good things. I'm not judging the act itself, I'm just saying. Our text though this morning is amazing because our Lord appears in the most insignificant place and works and announces his presence in the most, through the most insignificant people. We meet Simeon and Anna, two people of little significance by the world's standards. We don't know much about them, much at all, other than Simeon was promised he would see the Messiah before he died. Anna, an elderly woman, who was a, a widow from the tribe of Asher, most considered kind of a forgotten tribe, just assimilated into the culture. And here she devoted herself to the Lord's work in the temple the entire time, praying, fasting, waiting on the Lord. Just praying and fasting. It's very hard to measure what you're quantitatively getting done when you're praying and fasting. And yet, after Anna and Simeon in this text, we don't hear of them, we don't see of them anywhere else but there's such a significant part of the Christmas story. 
seemingly insignificant people in the normal ins and outs of their lives doing extraordinary things. God is at work displaying his love even when things aren't that extravagant. Just think about Mary and Joseph. Here's a quote from Luther. When Mary and Joseph arrived at Bethlehem, they were the most insignificant and despised. No one noticed or was conscious of what God was doing in that stable. He lets the large houses and costly apartments remain empty, lets their inhabitants eat, drink, and be merry. But this comfort and treasure are hidden from them. Oh, what a dark night this was for Bethlehem that was not conscious of that glorious light. See how God shows that he disregards what the world is, has, or desires. And furthermore, that the world shows how little it knows or notices what God is, has, and does. And he's, it's interesting, so much of the extravagance, extravagance of Christmas has little to do with Jesus. But the world may not notice who God is or what he's doing at Christmas, but let's take comfort from this love that God shows through very insignificant, normal, everyday things, everyday people. The love of Jesus Christ is yours for experiencing this morning. So as we look to these two normal people in the normal circumstances of their life, we're gonna find that God works through them in extravagant ways. Let's focus in on his love. So the love of Jesus Christ is displayed in this text. We'll see in many ways. Let's read Luke 2, 22 through 38. Actually, I'm gonna start in 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And as, written in, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called, called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's do two more verses. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew 
and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. We see right out of the gate that Jesus came and the love of Jesus is on display as he fulfills the law for us. Dave referenced this in his opening comments about Jesus' perfect righteousness, full and complete, perfect obedience. That Jesus fulfills the law for us. He does everything that's demanded. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is that he takes no shortcuts. Just because he's the son of God doesn't mean he could make his life easy and cut corners. That's not how he approached life. These first few verses and then sprinkled throughout labor this point that everything in the law that was necessary was being done by Jesus or for Jesus by even his parents. Do you see, do you hear how much the law was referenced in the first few verses? Verse 22, according to the law of Moses, purification. Right above it, 21, he was circumcised at the end of eight days, which was a Levitical command. Verse 24, according to what is in the law of the Lord. And even in verse 39 there, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. His parents brought him to the temple to do for him according to the custom of the law, as it was written in the law of the Lord. The circumcision, the, the sign of God's covenant with Jews, that boys were to be circumcised on the eighth day, following their verse, Jesus, their birth. Jesus received that as well. He receives his name at his circumcision, like John does, but without all of the drama surrounding John's day. And Mary and Joseph have received this command to give him the name Jesus from the angel Gabriel, and they do. They obey on behalf of Jesus here. And they name him Jesus. Yahweh is my salvation, my deliverance, my help. But when, when he's being circumcised here in accordance with the law, he's showing that he is fully identifying with humanity, with you and with me, with the Jewish people, with his people. That he was born of a woman and he was born under the law. There's no exception for Jesus. He came and immersed himself entirely into the life of his people, identifying with them entirely, embracing the full fullness of human existence. Obedience to the law, he's fulfilling it. Verse 22 talks about this purification according to the law. After 40 days, a woman could return to the temple for the completion of her purification after having a boy. And it required a sacrifice of a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, as it says in verse 22, you could offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph are pursuing her purification in accordance with the law. But we see that they were Israelites of humble means. They were offering a humble sacrifice. They didn't have the money to buy the lamb. Our Lord genuinely became poor so that we might become rich. And maybe this Christmas you wish you could do more for your kids. You're in good company. Mary and Joseph were in the same place, but they were honoring the Lord's word with their son, Jesus, seeking his purification. And then verse 23 goes on to say, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. There was this call to redeem the firstborn, holy to the Lord, consecrated, set aside to the Lord. And Jesus was the firstborn of Mary. 
But since Jesus didn't belong to the tribe of Levi, but rather of Judah, the law had explained that he needed to be exempted from official temple service so he would pay five shekels. There'd be a five shekel amount paid to redeem your son from service of the temple, your firstborn son. Five shekels was a lot of money then. I was laughing with Brooklyn. I was trying to figure out how much five shekels were. And I looked into one commentary and it referenced another commentary. And I went to that other commentary that said, we have no way, certain way of knowing how much it was. And so then I re- kind of got angry with the footnote that should have just told me, when you go to the find this one, they're gonna tell you, you don't know, but that's okay. We had fun chasing it down. The beauty of this though, is to imagine Mary and Joseph paying five shekels to redeem their son, Jesus who's gonna redeem us from the curse of the law. The redeemer was being redeemed. He's gonna eventually fulfill everything the temple stands for. He's eventually gonna be the great high priest that offers up the greatest sacrifice ever of himself for us. And because he perfectly fulfills the law in every way throughout his entire life, his sacrifice is acceptable for you and me. And he can bear the curse that we deserve. And all of this is beginning right here as his parents raise him in a life of obedience to God's law. The demands of the law are too much for you and me. None of us is righteous, none of us is holy, none of us love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we need someone who's done it for us. And we're seeing at the very infancy of Jesus that he's the one who will. We can enjoy Christmas with Christ as our savior and God as our father and our Holy Spirit as our helper because Jesus has paid it all and brought us perfectly into relationship with his heavenly father. I can't tell you how much this brings comfort to me. That Jesus came under the law and then fulfilled every demand of the law and then bore the punishment in his death, burial, and resurrection that the law required so that we can celebrate and enjoy life and Christmas without fear of punishment from God. When we fail in sin, we are doing so in Christ who has already perfectly fulfilled everything for us. Whatever sins you struggle with, whatever you feel condemned about, whatever you're striving for, press on knowing that our Lord has done it perfectly for you. You labor from his victory. You need not fear, he's fulfilled every law for you. And now you strive from a place of perfect acceptance because of Jesus. And that's love. That's his supreme love pursuing perfect obedience for you so that in him you're fully accepted by the Father. So he shows his love for you as he fulfills the law, but also as he came for all. He came for all. He comes, you see this in the way we hear from both men and women in this text. Simeon, in verses 25 and following, is a spirit-filled man, and he has a sweet promise. He wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. He was righteous, so his life was in agreement with the law. He obeyed. He did what was right. And he was a devout man. He had a reverence towards God in himself and obedience 
an obedient devotion to the Lord. So here was Simeon, led by the Spirit, taught by the Word, obedient to God's will. And he's just looking for the Messiah. He's not looking for vindication of Israel or overthrow of the Roman government. He's just looking for the Messiah. And he won't die until he sees it. So he's waiting. He's waiting. And he waits for a person. The person's going to be the one that consoles and comforts and cares for Israel. So you have this man who's giving witness to who Jesus is. But you also have a woman, Anna, a spirit-filled woman from the tribe of Asher who was given strength to prophesy. She was now, she was at one point married for seven years, but either, depending on how you understand it, she was either now widowed for 84 years or she's 84 years old. Either way, she's old and trustworthy and there was a reverence to age in the first century. And widows had it hard, very hard in life, despite the fact that there were laws in place to protect them. But she found purpose and she found protection in the temple, serving the Lord day in and day out. She worshiped the Lord. And she did it through simple praying to him and fasting. Praying and fasting day after day. And Jesus and Anna, I mean, Simeon and Anna in this testimony are just seen both as witnesses to Jesus. And you verify on the basis of two or three witnesses. And here God uses a man and a woman to affirm the deity of Jesus, the Messiah who is here. Jesus invests great value both to men and to women. He gifts and calls them both. And this confirms the value of both to us. And it confirms that he's available to all, male and female. But there's another, even more shocking reality that would have been, this male and female would have been shocking in the first century, but this is an even more shocking reality. Look at verses 30 through 32. What does Simeon say here? He holds up Jesus and he says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So Simon bursts into praise when he sees Jesus. But one of the things that he says is shocking. And that's that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. Now, it was unheard of for Jews to put their name right next to Gentile. Jew, Gentile, they did not want to be associated even in name. Don't even talk about us at the same time. They didn't go together. It's remarkable that Simeon says Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. It's even more remarkable, though, that he says that before he says, and for glory to your people Israel. He puts the Gentiles even ahead of the, of the Israelites in the way he's explaining it. I mean, the Gentiles were the ones that the Jews called dogs and didn't consider them equals. And here is Simeon saying, a light, all peoples, a light to the Gentiles of revelation and for glory to your people Israel. Jesus displays his deep love by coming for all, male and female, Jew and Gentile. And his mission then is to extend to the ends of the earth, starting with people, singular people who come to know him. So do you know that Jesus is for you? 
receive his love. He came, and even as an infant, those who are seeing him are making it painstakingly clear he comes for all. And what we find out about Jesus is where he's going to prove his love through his labors, through a labor of love. Like the old saying goes, this is a labor of love. We get a glimpse into the depths of our Lord's love as we see him being described here by Simeon and then explained by Anna, what he's going to do and the impact it'll have on his people. So his love is displayed in that he, he's fulfilling the law. He obeys the law perfectly for you and me. And then he comes for all, but then he labors. And I mean labors for you. Jesus works hard for you, driven by his love. Simeon holds Jesus up in his arms. And he says some beautiful things about him. The identity of Jesus starts to come out and you're gonna learn the identity of Jesus through some of his activity, what he's gonna do on our behalf. There are a lot of misconceptions about Jesus, but Simeon makes it clear he's the consolation of Israel. Look at verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of of Israel. Consolation has in mind encouragement along with removal of grief. Removal of grief. And obviously that doesn't happen at one time. But a, con a consoling person, the consolation of Israel is one who's going to come and bring encouragement and begin to offload the grief. Bring encouragement and offload grief. Our church has seen a lot of death lately. Hope you're praying for our family here. Ann Henderson, the Alsolios, both lost their mother. Germans lost his father, Keith's father. Esther and Barb of our grieving loss of children. Christmas without loved ones. My, my mother-in-law is celebrating her first Christmas without her mom. It, it's hard celebrating Christmases without that loved one that you wanted to see there. You wanted to talk to, you wanted to give them a gift, you wanted to receive a gift, you wanted to just catch up, whatever that is. But one of the things Jesus labors for you is to be your consolation. To come alongside and encourage you and help lift that grief. He too was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, and he can bear your burdens with you. The Messiah is going to come and build up, encourage, strengthen his people, and help remove pain, and help remove anguish, and help give hope in the midst of suffering. His work is going to be a consoling work. The way Jesus describes himself is his yoke is easy. His burden is light. He comes to free captives, raise up lowly, right? cause the poor to flourish, sustain the weary, correct the wayward, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is a consoling savior. There was a traditional Jewish prayer, may I see the consolation of Israel. And when Simeon saw the Lord Jesus Christ as a 40-day-old baby, he saw the consolation of Israel. Whatever would become of, his, of Jesus, he was the consolation that Israel needed. He was the consolation for his people. 
Receive Jesus and you'll receive consolation. Jesus hasn't, hadn't lived a perfect life yet. He hadn't died a perfect death yet. He hadn't conquered the grave yet. When Simeon saw Jesus, he saw the consolation of Israel. Go to Jesus and receive that consolation. He labors for that for you out of love. But he also says in verse 30, what does Simeon say? He says, Lord, my eyes have seen your salvation. Everything pertaining to your salvation is in the baby, Jesus Christ. When he sees a baby, Jesus, he sees salvation. He, Jesus came into this world because there was a need and a plan. The people whom he created and loved have rebelled against him and they need salvation. And Jesus and the Father in cooperation with the Spirit had long before agreed on this plan of redemption. And here it is in a 40-year-old baby. Here it is. And Simeon can look at this 40-day-old baby. And Simeon can look. He was eternal. So look at this baby and say, salvation. Salvation. Bernard de Clairvaux said this, awake, you who lie in the dust. Awake and give praise. Behold, the Lord comes with salvation. He comes with salvation. He comes with unction. He comes with glory. Jesus cannot come without salvation, he says. Christ cannot come without unction, nor the Son of God without glory, for he himself is salvation. He is unction. He is glory. You can't come to Jesus and not get salvation. If you have Jesus, you have salvation. We've been We've proven to ourselves again and again we can't save ourselves, right? This is no hidden secret. Well, the long-awaited Messiah was there because, as Dave pointed out, 400 years of silence had gone by. But before 400 years of silence, there were kings and prophets and priests who had failed the people. Over and over and over, people like David and Solomon, Moses and Elijah, Aaron and Levi, they all failed to bring about God's good promises because they were sinners. And yet Israel had this longing in their heart for eternal joy in the presence of God when someday sin would be overthrown because God promised that. They wanted it, they wanted it badly. Prophet, priest came, they, they came again and again and again, they failed. Then Jesus shows up, salvation, all in him. And he goes on to say, he's a light and glory, look at verse 31, that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Jesus labors for you to be your salvation. He labors to shine light and to bring about glory. A light of revelation to the Gentiles meant that Jesus was gonna shine his light into their lives and your life. We are Gentiles, unless you're part of the Jewish people, we're Gentiles meaning that we're going to see our sin exposed. We're going to see our far uh, distance from a holy Savior, yet in the same light that Jesus shines, he shines the light that he is the salvation we need. In the same light we see our sin, we see our Savior. And Jesus comes to bring that about and awaken us to that glory. When our sins are exposed and the salvation of Christ is revealed, there's no greater moment 
but, he, but he also comes, it says, to bring, be the glory to his people Israel. Israel longed for their Messiah. The Gentiles are going to see their sin and see the Savior in Christ Jesus. But Jesus labors to shine his glory because Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of everything Israel longed for. All of God's good promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Christ will fulfill and be obedient in everywhere Israel failed to be. And it will be glorious to see him be the true Israel that Israel, the nation, has failed to be. And then come to Jesus, they'll come to Jesus and find the true glory Israel needed and was promised is in the man Christ Jesus, the true Israel himself. He is glory to his people, Israel. So Jesus labors in love to be your salvation, to show you your sin, to awaken you to his salvation. But then Simeon says some piercing things, some piercing things to Mary. Look at verses 33 and following. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's a hard moment for Mary. She's going to treasure these things in her heart and try to make sense of them. This fall and rising of many has in mind a common theme throughout the word of God, that Jesus is a cornerstone. Some are going to build their lives upon him. Some are going to trip over him and stumble. For some, he will be their salvation and their foundation. Others will reject him entirely. Or he's a sign that is opposed, Simeon says. These signs of miracles, divine truth is being revealed. As people begin to learn about Jesus through his miraculous actions, signs are done throughout his life. People either admired him or opposed him. Some spoke evil of him. Some slandered his birth, said his works were the power of Satan, questioned his, his character, slandered his death. They lied about his resurrection. And what's the most abused name on the planet of earth today? The name of Jesus. And though Jesus came in love, he was opposed. And this is going to pierce Mary's heart. As Jesus begins to reveal himself and do his works, people are going to hate him for it. And they'll eventually put him to death. And this very sign of Jesus' work is what's going to pierce Mary's soul. Mothers feel the depth of their children's pain, don't you, mom? My mom will bring up injuries and hits I took in football in high school. I don't remember them. She does. She felt them harder than I did in the moment. Moms just identify with their children. And yet, for Mary, in the very pain that pierces her soul, it's where we and she could only find hope. It's in the redemption that Jesus accomplishes. So redemption is that, let's look, let's look to Anna's words for a minute because this is where we see her cherishing and waiting for the redemption of Israel. Look at verses 36 and following. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of 
Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So I love this about this 40-day-old baby. Simeon looks and sees him, salvation. And Anna sees him and says, hey, everyone who's waiting for the redemption of Israel, it's that baby right there. It's that child. It's the reality. Redemption is that reality that we have a debt that needs to be paid and we're enslaved until it's paid. We're sinners enslaved to sin. And here Jesus is that redeemer who brings redemption, the one who will pay our debt and set us free. Although this will pierce Mary's soul, Jesus will live that perfect life and die that perfect death for us and pay the price that we needed to be redeemed from our sin. So Jesus labors to show you his love. He came for all. He came for all. He fulfilled the law on your behalf and he labors for you in his life. His love is full. His love is strong. And that requires us to respond in love to him. Love for Christ then should flow out of us. It should result, this glorious, the glorious work of Jesus should result in love for him. And love for Christ is displayed then when we look to and take Christ. Simeon's, the picture of Simeon, you've probably seen paintings of it where he just takes Jesus in, holds him. There's usually tears coming down his face. That, that's, that's a picture of what we do in faith. We just come to Jesus and take him as he is. We say, whoever you are, Jesus, whatever you've done, I need you and I need all of you. You take Christ in. And then it overflows through your mouth. You bless God with your voice. So our love for Christ is displayed when we look to and take Christ. And then we overflow in praise to him. Simon, I mean, Simeon overflows with joy. Anna sees Jesus, knows who he is, and goes and tells everyone who's waiting. God's been so abundantly good to her that she can't help but speak of her Redeemer. Reminds me of that song, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. Do y'all know this one? Old hymn, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It, His Child and Forever I Am. How I'd love to proclaim it. it just, yeah, I just love to talk about him. And that's what Jesus does in Anna's life. She says, she just goes off and starts speaking of Jesus. I don't think this was a confrontational, you know, get right or get left out there. I mean, I don't think that's what, she's just speaking of the redemption of Israel. Just speaking of Jesus. How she loves to proclaim it. Like grandparents showing off pictures of their grandchildren. You never wonder if a grandparent has a grandchild. They just show you. you know, hey, look, I, this is what I was doing this weekend right here. Did you know that? I built this for my grandson. And they're, they just overflow in love. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to draw it out of them. Do you really have grandchildren? No, they just do. And Jesus has this impact on his people. They just speak. So we, we look to and take Christ. We just bless him with our mouth. We overflow. And then we wait. And then we wait for his return. 
Anna and Simeon were among the remnant of Israel waiting for the Messiah. And when we wait for him, we show we love him. And we show that his love is worth waiting for. Most people would say, look at a life of like Anna's, a widow, a woman, elderly, from a lost tribe, and they'd say, she doesn't have a whole lot to offer. Oh my goodness, she does. And so do you, as you wait, as you anxiously wait for the return of our Messiah, our Redeemer, and you speak of your redemption in Christ Jesus. You display his love, the most extraordinary, extravagant, over-the-top beauty of Christmas in Jesus Christ becomes clear and plain in your normal, everyday faithfulness as you wait. Someday the love of Christ will be fully on display when he came back. He came the first time. He is our salvation. There is redemption in him. He'll come again. Embrace Christ in the normal He'll, usually, he'll use you mightily until he comes back again. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you loved us. You came for us. You came for all. Thank you that in you we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you are our salvation. We pray you'd help us overflow in love for you. Abound in praise and glory to you. Pray you'll help us wait for you, Lord, when the days are long and hard and life is difficult and sins we've struggled with are rearing their ugly heads again. Help us keep our eyes on you and wait on you. Lord, you've come once, you'll come again. When your love is fully revealed and made plain then, oh, it'll be glorious as we become like you when we see you as you are. So Lord, hold us fast now and fill us with great joy as we sing of this joy to the world and we think of your glory extending out far as the curse is found, your light shining into the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So fill us with joy now as we sing your praise and your glory. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.